Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name is Ricky. serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, good to be with you guys today. Um, she, she had a bounce in her step. Uh, she had an anticipation about the day. Uh, she had an important dinner to go to that night, but there was just one problem that she had nothing to wear. Uh, but she had been given some money to go find an outfit, to find something for the occasion. And so she sets out to, and she, she, did, she finds out what is the best place to go to find the, the right outfit, the right dress. But as she's walking, she just sticks out like a sore thumb. She didn't really fit in this kind of place. See, nobody dressed the way that she dressed. This was Rodeo Drive, Beverly Hills. And in this place, you just don't dress like that. You don't look like that. That's just kind of inappropriate and just made people question, hey, what kind of line of work is she actually in? So she walks into a, a store, very nice store with all this great clothing and looks around, but she could just tell that, man, she's just met with this kind of coldness. She asked how much something is, but they just don't think that she would have that kind of money. Doesn't feel like she belongs, because she, she really doesn't belong. People run in the place, tell her that they have nothing for her, and eventually just ask her to leave, because somebody like that doesn't belong in a place like this. And they wanted nothing to do with her. And then that's when we all really sympathize with Julia Roberts in the movie Pretty Woman. You know, when they kick her out, and we think, oh man, that's just so awful. And we always feel that in, you know, in various movies or various settings, when we see this just kind of rejection of somebody, this, this stiff arm to somebody is just like, hey, no, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you. Gandhi actually shares a story in his autobiography. And, you know, Gandhi is from India, is a famous Hindu. And when he's in England as a student, he actually considered converting to Christianity because he thought, man, you know, maybe Christianity could speak into this caste system that's really causing a lot of just really uh, discrimination, hard division that's in India. So he goes to a church, uh, and, but when he enters the sanctuary, the ushers refuse to seat him. And they say, no, you need to leave and go worship somewhere with your own people. And so he never came back because he thought, well, man, if Christianity has its caste I might as well remain a Hindu. You know, we hear stories like that of, of kind of this rejection, this dis discrimination. Somebody may be thinking that they're better than somebody else. And we, and we feel it, you know, and we see it out there in the world. And we just, we, there's this just feeling of like, that probably many of us get of like, man, that's just, that's not really right. You know, but what is God's perspective in all of this? Why do we actually why why is it actually not right? You know, we, we could look here through Acts and we could think, man, the, the church is so awesome and it feels idealistic. But we actually see that this kind of thinking was actually plaguing the church then too. But how is this supposed to change? How do we actually have a different kind of thinking, not just for the early church, but for us? So with that, open up to Acts 10. Acts 10. Um or after the book of John. And, um, you know, as we've seen, that this, this is a very large chunk of Scripture. It's very repetitive. You probably were maybe spacing off during this time, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought we already read this part. Um, 
But in this, so this is actually the largest narrative in the entire book of Acts because it's this uh, extremely pivotal, pivotal part. It's kind of a game changer scene. And as we go through it, I want us to see three truths. Three truths. And here's the first one the gospel is for the religious. The gospel is for the religious. Look at verse 1, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's a devout man who feared God with all of his household. What kind of guy is he? He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's like, hey, we see what you're doing. We see that you're this good guy. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose his house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, uh, from among those who attended him. And having related everything he said to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so the gospel here is kind of challenging this, this religious notion because when we look at Cornelius, we're introduced to the first character. He's this good guy. You know, he has this good reputation. He's giving away many money. He's generous. And then the angel of the Lord says to him, hey, we've seen this. We've seen your prayers. We've seen all these things that you're doing. But the angel doesn't say, hey, in light of everything that you're doing and being this good guy, uh, hey, you've got to go to heaven when you die. Hey, we, we notice all these great things that you're doing, and we just want to let you know, thumbs up. That's awesome. That's not what, what the angel of the Lord says. angel says, hey, we've seen all these good things that you're doing. We see who you are, but something's missing. There's something you don't know about. And actually, the thing that you're missing is the gospel is Jesus. Hey, and in light of all these things that you're doing, you need to go ask for Peter. This is kind of similar to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he would have been a very like, good moral person. He's even a little bit better than some of the other Pharisees in that he recognizes Jesus. Jesus, we, we see that you're from heaven. See that you're a messenger. All of these things. He doesn't seem to have this, this spirit of pride as much of the other ones. But in light of all that, Jesus says, well, you know what? Actually, you know what you need to do? You need to be born again. It's not, hey, you need to clean up your behavior. Hey, you just need to get a little bit more things right and hit things more on the checklist. It's like, well, you actually need to be born again. You need new life that comes through me, that comes through Jesus. Because Christianity is not this call to a better behavior. Christianity is not this call to moral values or to be a better person. But it's actually this, this call to Jesus. And, and when we hear somebody of like, oh yeah, hey, God steps in and says, hey, there's something else you need or hey, you need to be born again, that probably makes a lot of sense for us when it comes to the person that's making a lot of bad choices in life. Hey, that, of course you need to be born again. Of course you need new life because there's something wrong with your life. Hey, you're, you're putting your place in the, in the place of God and you're, you're rejecting all of God's ways. You're rejecting everything that God's saying. And you're, you're making your own choices. You're making all these bad choices and you're doing this and that. Of course you need God. Of course you need Jesus. But there's another way that we could put ourselves in the place of God is not just by rejecting everything that God says, 
But another one, or, or by breaking all of the rules, another way that we could put ourselves in the place of God is actually by keeping all the rules. By making sure that we're this really good moral person. Making sure that we're hitting everything the way that we think that they should be met. See, when you're actually keeping all the rules and following everything, being a good, good little person, that usually leads to one of two things. Either it leads to pride, kind of this sense of self-righteousness, or it leads to this thing of just like that you're never feeling like you're good enough. A little bit of despair in that. And keeping all the rules, that's what, what the Pharisees did, and they're very prideful, very good at, at rule-following and even in Luke 18, there's this Pharisee, this religious kind of elite person that's there at the temple praying, and there's this tax collector who would have been viewed as just this awful sinner. And even the Pharisee prays. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you, God, that, hey, I'm kind of walking the straight and narrow here, and thank you that I'm not like them over there. The person that is, is morally corrupt and is breaking all the rules needs Jesus just as much as the person that's keeping all the rules. Looks like that they have it all together. And I would say in actually some ways the person that's kind of like a morally good person is harder to reach. They don't see their need for Jesus. Don't see their own self-sitterness. Thank you, God. I'm not like them. And if when we come to this story and we see Cornelius, we'd think, man, this guy doesn't really need Jesus. This guy doesn't need the gospel. He, man, he's, he's, he's a successful, he has a successful career. He's given away things. He's generous. Man, he's, he's awesome. I mean, think of the people in your life. Who do you think really needs Jesus? That coworker, that neighbor, that's actually, you know, they treat their kids nice. They're, they're doing pretty well. Do you, are you really thinking with this sense of urgency, man, they need Christ? My guess is probably not. Why? Because they seem like they kind of have it together. And if you're thinking that about them, <clears throat> you're probably also thinking that about yourself. That when everything kind of seems good and, and you're doing things well, probably you're, even you think that your need for Christ goes down a little bit. Because we kind of think that morality actually somehow gets us closer. And so God, He comes to Cornelius, sees that He's a good guy. Sees that He's really sincere in His religion. Because we can think that, well, hey, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, God doesn't think that. Hey, all religions are basically the same. All man-made religions are basically the same. And that's saying, all man-made religions says, hey, there is something wrong with you, try harder. And if you try harder, and if you do it good enough, then you could reach to God, then you could reach nirvana, whatever it is. But Jesus, the gospel comes and says, hey, there's something deeply wrong with you, and you can't fix it. You're dead. And you actually, you, no matter how sincere you are in your religion, no matter how well you follow the rules, that doesn't change who you are and your deadness. You need me. You need to be born again. You need this new life that only I can give you. The only grace that I can, can actually earn your right place with God for you. And so we see here that this kind of challenge to religion, this, this gospel that it, it goes out to those who are religious. 
Second truth is this. The gospel is for those people. The gospel is for those people. I want you to notice as we work through the story, notice Peter's progression here. First off, where's Peter at? Look at chapter 9, verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one, Simon, a tanner. Now, Peter is a Jew. Peter's been used to these kind of the Jewish customs, and so he is staying with this tanner. A tanner, we would kind of read that and be like, whatever, who cares? But a tanner is somebody that, who, who's working with dead animals all the time. Now, according to Jewish law, this makes him unclean pretty much perpetually. And when Peter is there, hanging out at the tanner's house, at the dead animal house, that makes him unclean. And so when we kind of enter in this story here, Simon, or, or I mean Peter, might actually be feeling pretty good about himself. Hey, because of what God has done in my life, I'm hanging out even with this guy. Hey, because of the grace that God has shown me, hey, I'm actually even hanging out at this guy's house. But here's the thing. Simon the tanner is still a Jew. So for Peter, it's like, hey, I'm still hanging out with my people. I'm still going to be with my people. But yeah, I mean, he's a tanner, but I'm still with my people. And he might be feeling pretty good about what he's doing. And so then in verse 9, it says, the next day, this is after the vision of Cornelius had with the angel of the Lord, as they were journeying and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like, like a sheet, like a blanket descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. This is, unclean, this is clean animals, unclean animals. This is something like, you know, a sheep would have been a clean animal, a pig would have been an unclean animal, bats, whatever. All of these things being let down. And there came a voice to, to Peter, to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this is what, there's all these clean, unclean animals. And this is what I like to call pigs in a blanket. Bam. All right. Uh, <laughs> pigs in a blanket. So, so God says, hey, kill and eat. Now, in some sense, for you and I, this might be like, yeah, God. That's what I'm talking about. Finally, bacon, boo, right? And and and, but th- this is this is crazy for Peter, because see, there's foods that are clean, there's foods that are unclean, there's just kosher, unkosher. And even though God's like, hey, eat up, baconator, go for it. Peter's like, wait a minute, that does look good, but, aha, maybe there's a test. This is God trying to see if I'm going to follow him. I ain't falling for it, God, by no means. Mm-mm. I ain't doing it. And sometimes we don't appreciate this. I mean, for 1,400 years, they've avoided these animals because they were unclean. And, and, and them having this, this diet, the, the diff, eating differently, was the way that actually Israel was distinct from all the rest of the nations. All the rest of the nations, hey, you eat and you're eating whatever, but hey, we, we have this clean, unclean thing, so this is a way for us to be distinct, to have a little bit of separation between you and me. Now, something that the Jews forgot 
is that this distinction that they had between them and the other nations wasn't to just be like, hey, those other people stink and you're awesome. It was actually to help them, the nations, to see the relationship that they have with God so that they could be a light, so that they could be, be seen and that the nations would be drawn in. Also, these, these um, unclean an- animals... It wasn't just like, oh, hey, because eating pigs is bad. No, it's so, you know, no, we try to just always say, well, God just wanted to protect them and, and keep them healthy. And maybe that was part of it. But it was like, hey, actually, this is showing you all of these laws that I'm giving you is that you can't keep them. Is that you're sinful? Is that just like that there's maybe an unclean animal? It's, you have an unclean heart. There's something in you that is unclean. And God is trying to show them their sin and their actual need for a Savior. But all of those things is what God meant the law for. Here's what happened to the Jews. This is a lot to keep. This is a lot to show how awesome we are. This is a lot to check, check, check everything off of our box. And if we do that, then man, we're good. We're good with God. And here, Peter, hey man, eat up, Pete. Mm -mm. I ain't falling for it. But Peter even knows, wait a minute, Jesus, the law doesn't save, Jesus saves. Hey, when Jesus died, the curtain that was in the Holy of Holies, that, that on one side of the curtain was the presence, it symbolized the presence of God, and the other side was everybody else. Hey, that curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. That it was shown that it was from heaven to us. That was ripped in two because Jesus said, no, nah, the reason, the way you get in my presence is not by your rule following, but by my grace, by the blood of Christ. There's, there's no separation. And he, this sheet is even being let down from heaven to earth, showing that it's from God. Peter gets all this. He gets the gospel. Peter shared the gospel, but he gets it kind of. Or he doesn't, doesn't fully get it. And so we, we see that he's just kind of like, the, this voice comes a second time. Hey, what, don't call unclean what, don't call something common that I've made clean. Three times he has this vision. Three times God is trying to get this into his head. Then in verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed. perplexed. Now I really like this part because I relate to Peter a lot. It's like, hey, he's confused. Hey, I just saw a bunch of animals on this sheet. I'm kind of, what's going on? You know, and I like that because I would be probably thinking the same thing. So he's, he's thinking about, about the vision that he's seen might, might mean, behold, the men who are sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So, so these are the guys, the guys are like out there. Hey, these are Jews. We're Gentiles. They're Jews. We're not Jews. We know our place. We're standing out at the gate, so they're outside. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who's called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you're looking for. What is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the, Jewish, the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to the house um, to hear what you have to say. So invite them to be his guests. So, see this progression that's going on with Peter. He's staying at a Jew's house, but an unclean Jew, and now he's going to have unclean Gentile guests. He's inviting them in. These guys that he's not supposed to associate with. 
Those people that he doesn't like. Those people that are unclean. Those people from Iowa. Right? We get it. Man, ugh. he's inviting them in to be his guests. Now imagine if Peter, would Peter have let them into his house without the vision? We don't know. Would Peter want anything to do with him? Probably not. But, and Peter had been thinking, hey, is this about food? Unclean, clean? And God's showing him, actually, yeah, it's something even bigger than that. It's about those people. People. Three times God showed him. Verse 23. Um, he invites them in. Next step for Peter, they ask him to go to Cornelius' house. Now we could just kind of cruise through that, but again, Cornelius is a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. So, for Jews, this guy is like scum. Hey, you're a military official that's overseeing lots of soldiers. As that, you, as a centurion, are helping keep us Jewish people under your thumb. You're keeping us under oppression. You're helping Rome oversee us, and that now we're being ruled by a, a, a nation, a people that doesn't believe who we believe, what we believe. They serve foreign gods. That's who Cornelius is in his mind. And then he says, "Hey, you're you're of the Italian core. He's he's really Roman." He's not kind of like a foreign guy brought in. He's, he's really Roman. And then it says, hey, we're going to go to Caesarea. Caesarea was the, the capital of the Roman occupation of Israel. Jews hated Caesarea. It represents those people that are oppressing him. But Peter goes because God told him three times. God came to him three times, showing, hey, this is absolutely certain. And so... Peter goes to those people. These laws aren't, aren't about just making sure that you're clean and, and everybody else is unclean. I'm showing you that there's something bigger here that Jews and Gentiles, everyone actually is unclean. How can you be made clean? God says in the vision, what God has made clean. Not because you eat a certain way you're clean, but because I made them clean. You can't keep the law, guys. It's not about that. The gospel is for those people. And here's this, this truth here that's going on is at the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. At the foot of the cross, we're all on level ground. There is no way that you could kind of get a leg up. There's no way that you could be like, oh, hey, I'm a little bit higher than you because I don't, I don't eat like you. I'm a little bit higher than you because I don't behave like you. Hey, because I don't think like you, because I don't do like that, because I'm not one of those people, I'm a little bit better. That's just not true. Actually, you're all unclean. I'm the one that makes you clean. Jesus, God, Jesus makes you that. And so Peter's starting to get it. He's, okay, I'm sitting at this Simon's house, I'll invite you into my home. Hey, I'll go into your home. He's starting to go, so he goes to Caesarea. He goes to Cornelius' house. And once Cornelius sees him, Cornelius bows in respect. And Peter says, hey, don't do that. I'm just a man. So right there, that's saying, hey, there's no difference between you and me. But then the next verse you see, he goes back to it. Hey, you know it's unlawful for me, a Jew, to be in this house with you. Not a Jew. That's a fun greeting, right? Hey, I'm here in your house. 
I just want to let you know I'm not supposed to be here. I just want to let you know I ain't like you because you're one of those people. I don't like that. I'm, but, you know, and so, so he starts off with, hey, I'm, a, I'm just a man like you. And the next sentence, hey, but, it, but I'm a Jew. I'm a Jewish man. I ain't like you. And then the next part of it that he says in verse, um, verse 20, 28, you know it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This sounds like a rule. This doesn't sound like Peter's heart is changed. Peter's saying like, hey, it's unlawful for me to be here, but God told me to be here. So I'm here. God, God said that I shouldn't do that. Right? And so he's just following the rules right here. And then he asks him, why'd you sin for me? You think Peter would know by now? Peter had a vision three times. Why'd you sin for me? The people already told him, hey, God, God showed up and told Cornelius this. And so Cornelius basically again just recounts what happens. And we don't know exactly all of what happened, but look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Something in there happened in Peter's heart. The Spirit came and spoke into Peter's heart and light bulb goes off on, in his head. Wait a minute. This is what God has been doing all along. God came to Cornelius. God made him send these people to me. God came to me. God brought me here. All, why is all, why'd you send for me? Why is all this happening to me? Because God's taking initiative towards those people. The Gospel is for those people. God shows no partiality. Peter, it's not because you're some really good rule follower that you're suddenly more savable than someone else. It is for all those people. And so Peter's starting to just, man, the light bulb goes off. This is what God is doing. God is at work. And as we go through the book of Acts, it's not primarily about what Peter's doing. It's not primarily about what Paul's doing. It's about what God is doing through people. God's initiative. God loves those people. He saves not just me, but them. Same Jesus that saved me saves them. And so, in verse um, 34, he says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And then note, notice his language. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him, who does what is right and acceptable to Him, anyone who believes, anyone who's looking to Christ is acceptable. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Christ, Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Again, notice this emphasis. Not just the Jews, but of all. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So he's like saying, hey, Jesus is this blessing. He's this righteous person. But then they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He's cursed. So Jesus earned our blessing, but he became our curse through the cross. But God raised him on the third day. He rose from the dead and made him appear, not to all the, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. And we ate with him and we drank with him from the dead. 
after he rose from the dead. I love this. He's saying, hey, this isn't just some philosophy. This isn't just something that we're talking about or something to think about. No, this really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. We ate with Him. We drank with Him. He's not a ghost. He's alive. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He was the one anointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus is judge. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness. So Jesus is judge and Savior. He's both of those things. And again, notice he says that everyone, in verse 43, who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin through His name. This is what Cornelius has been missing, the gospel of Jesus. And Peter is sharing with them the gospel. And then, then um, verse 44, while he's saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all, not some, not just the Jews, but all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who had been with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on those Gentiles. Man, the Holy Spirit came to even them on those people. Verse 46, for they were hearing, uh, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, man, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? I mean, this here where they speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit comes on them and they speak in tongues. This isn't to say, hey, this is what everybody's kind of salvation conversion story should be, that you have to speak in tongues. That's not what it's saying here. That's not actually a normal thing that happens in the book of Acts. The rest of the book of Acts, it only happens one time. But this story should remind us of something that we've already seen in the book of Acts. And it reminded Peter of this too. In, in chapter 11... Verse, um, I think it's 16, or, or it said, verse 15. It says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us at the beginning. This is Pentecost. This is like a Gentile Pentecost. And what Pentecost did is, is they, the Holy Spirit comes on them and they start speaking, the, and all of the people hear it in their own language. And what God was showing them was, hey, there is no one culture that is above another one. There is no one superior culture. There is no superior language. This is going out to everyone. And right here, he's reminding them, hey, just like I worked through you, I'm working through them. One spirit, one body, you're united by faith and equally members of Jesus' body, His church. There is no superiority or status, superiority, culture superiority. But it's the gospel shows us that it's, man, this is for those people. And this, the last thing that, that this passage shows us is the gospel is for those who know the gospel. We all need the gospel more. We need it to dig deeper and deeper into our hearts, into our souls. Here's a question is, why did God use Peter at all? Here's a, here's a weird thing. God could have just had the angel of the Lord continue to speak to Cornelius and share the gospel. I'm sure the angel would have done a great job about it. Why didn't he do that? Also, Cornelius, he's in Caesarea. You know who else is in Caesarea that God could have said, hey, why don't you go speak to Cornelius, the Roman centurion? Because there's another person that we've already seen that's in Caesarea at this time, Philip. 
Chapter 8, verse 40. He's there. It says, then he came to Caesarea. I mean, what, he's, that's a lot more convenient. Why don't we just get Philip? It's just, he's just down the road. Why doesn't God get him to do it? I think it was not just because Cornelius needed Peter, but Peter needed Cornelius. Peter needed more of the gospel in his life. And I mean, think about it. Peter knew the gospel. He shared the gospel. He's proclaimed it, but he needs to get more of the implications of the gospel into his soul. I mean, this whole time we've seen Peter, he's a little bit like Jonah. His name even is Simon Bar-Jonah. Jonah, in the Old Testament, God tells him, hey, I want you to go to those people. I want you to go to those Ninevites. And Jonah's like, no way. And then he goes to where? To Joppa. Where's Peter at? Joppa. Jonah protests to God. I ain't doing it. Peter protests to God. By no means, Lord. Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish. After those three days, then he goes and proclaims. Peter has three visions. After the three visions, then he goes and does it. Jonah proclaims the Word of God. They repent. Peter proclaims the Word of God. They repent. Jonah's heart is angry. I knew this would happen, God. I knew you would show mercy on them. And you don't even know if he ends up kind of having the heart of God. But here, Peter is like, hey, praise God. He's excited. Hey, we, what should stop us? And he says, who am I to stand in God's way? I don't, even, I don't think that this is actually just something that God is trying to get the gospel further into Peter's life. I think he's trying to get it further into the church's life. Because if Peter goes and shares the, the, what's going on to the church, that helps affirm what God is doing. I mean, notice in chapter 11. Man, they heard what's going on. Peter gets there. And what happens? They criticize. They're not excited. Hey, hey, Pete. Don't you know those people are unclean? What are you doing going to those people? Hmm? Critical. With criticism comes division. And we live in a pretty critical culture. With criticism comes superiority. With criticism comes pride. I know better than you. I'm right and you're wrong. But they begin to listen. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. They listen. Peter shares with them what happened, what God is doing. Then he says, who am I to stand in God's way? And then their criticism turns to praise. God had to get the Gospel deeper into those who knew the Gospel. Because it's easy for us to read this story and think, how'd you not get it, guys? How'd you just not understand? How could you have not gotten it? And in church, I just want to say, you know, over, I mean, this year has been really crazy, and I want to say, hey, I'm really proud of you. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen this, this pride, this divisiveness, this pushing away of people. I haven't seen that. So I just want to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm proud of you, but, but also I'd say, hey, we need to examine our hearts. Because we could maybe be doing it right outwardly, but there still might be something inwardly. So who do you think is unclean? You might not say it like that, but who for you is, mm-mm, that's unclean, God. Who's on your sheet? You know, this is being lowered from heaven. Hey, do this, move towards these people. No, that's unclean. Who's on your sheet? 
Here, here's a way to think of it. Who would you not want to have dinner with at, in your home? That'll probably help you figure it out. Who would you be like, mm, gosh, I just can't wait for that. I don't even think I'll invite them in and I can't wait for them to leave. What is your, your heart's posture towards a Muslim? What is your heart's posture towards somebody that votes differently than you? What is your heart's posture towards somebody that is maybe homosexual or in a same-sex marriage? What is somebody of a different color ethnicity? You know, I heard somebody say we have skin issues because we have sin issues. And if me saying some of those things, if you feel this like little angst in you to be like, yeah, but Ricky, you don't know about those people. Yeah, but Ricky, they're wrong. Yeah, Ricky, that just shows you that you need more of the gospel in you. I'm not talking about morality. You know, that's, that's not the point of like, oh, are they right or are they wrong? But are you like, hey, I can move towards people or not because everyone needs the gospel. I'd also say that, hey, this isn't just about how we think about people outside of the church, but also how we think about us in the church. And again, I haven't really seen this, but I have seen it just in different places. I've heard about it different places because Satan would love nothing more than to divide us. In Galatians, Paul talks about when there's these Christians at Antioch and they withdraw from their brothers and sisters in Christ because the way they're eating. They pull away from them. And we read that and we're like, that's silly. I can't believe you do that over food. But do we do it over how we vote? Do you do it? Do you feel yourself pulling away from people because, oh man, I can't believe that they're not wearing a mask? Ooh, wait a minute. They asked me to wear a mask. I'm out. I'm pulling away. Can't believe they'd tell me to do this. The whole thing's a hoax. Whatever. Do you feel yourself doing that? To your brothers and sisters in Christ because they think differently than you? They maybe vote differently than you? They don't agree with you on everything? It just shows you we, us. We need more and more of the gospel because what we wanted, what we have this tendency to do is like, oh, hey, they think like me. That's my people. Man, they vote like me. That's kind of my kind of people. Hey, they wear a mask like me. That's my kind of people. They don't wear a mask like me. That's my kind of people. Man, they look like me. They think like me. They agree with me. Man, when we think that those are our people. But here's the thing. It's not about anybody being your people. It's about us being God's people. You and I are made God's people by the blood of Christ, not because we all agree on everything. Jesus is bigger. Whatever We will be united if what unites us is bigger than what can divide us. And Jesus is bigger than all that other stuff. There is nothing bigger than Jesus. So if we're always looking to Him, we'll always be united because He's bigger than everything that could be possibly divide us. And I know some of you are thinking, but man, Ricky, how would I do that? How would I move towards people that aren't like me? How, would I, how could I even be unified with people that don't, that don't think like me, that don't agree with everything like me? How, how could I love somebody like that? How can I move towards somebody like that? Because God did it for you. Christ did it for you. You were nothing like Jesus. You didn't agree with Jesus. You didn't love Jesus. You weren't great like Jesus. You weren't holy like Jesus. None of those things. But the light came into darkness. 
He came down to you in your uncleanness, in your death, in your sin, and says, I'm moving towards you. I love you, and I will make you clean. Even though you're nothing really like me, I'm pursuing you. And if Jesus did that for us, then we can do it for other people. Motivated by the Gospel, the Gospel's getting deeper into us because the Gospel is for everyone. It's for the religious. It's for those people. And it's for us, for any of us who already know the Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank You. Um, Lord, we thank You that this is Your beautiful heart. God, because without You moving towards us, we have no hope. You loving those that are not like You. Loving us who are not like You. Moving towards us who are not like You. To us who are unclean. God, You did that for us. Lord, may we that just sink deeper and deeper into our bones, Lord. Lord, and for any of us that are wondering, and maybe we have placed our trust in You, our faith in You, and we're just wondering, man, are we, are we really clean? Let, it, let us not ever say that something is unclean that You have made clean, that You have declared clean by the blood of Christ. Lord, I pray, Lord, that You would continue to work in us, Lord, and I pray that You would just push away anything that would divide us, Lord, and help us to not look to those things as our identity or as who we are, but to Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.